And tonight, we are going to talk about Deborah. So maybe some of you here tonight are familiar with the story of Deborah, and maybe some of you are not. So let me just get us all on the same page, all right? Let me just share with you very briefly the story of Deborah and share with you a little bit about her life. Her story is found in the Word in Judges chapter 4. Now, Deborah, she was a wife. She was married to Lapidoth. She was also a judge. She was raised up by God to bring deliverance in Israel. And all of Israel was under her jurisdiction. That was quite an ordeal, a, a big deal, I should say, in that day when most women were under the rule of men. For her to hold this position was quite something in that day. And she held it very well. She ruled with righteousness and justice and mercy. She had a very prominent position. People would come to her for guidance, for direction, to settle disputes. All of Israel was her jurisdiction. That's pretty amazing. And not only was she a judge, but she was also a prophet. And she would hear from God, and she would deliver his word and his message to people. You know, the word wasn't written in Bible form like we have it today back then. People heard the word of the Lord through the prophets. And so here she is. She's a wife. She's a judge. She's a prophet. You could say that this woman was a wife who had a very prominent career and a great reputation, and heard from God, and followed God with all of her heart. And so at the time that she held this position as judge, King Jabin and Sisera, who was the commander of his army, they ruthlessly oppressed Israel. And they'd been doing this for 20 years. And so at this point, the Israelites start crying out to God for help, crying out to God to rescue them. And so God gives a word to Deborah. And he says, okay, this is what you need to do. Go deliver this word to Barak. So she calls for Barak, and he comes, and she says, this is what God is saying. You need to go gather 10,000 warriors from Israel and then take them to Mount Tabor. And God is going to cause Sisera, the commander of King Jabin's army, to bring all of his chariots and all of his warriors to come and you will encounter them and you will have victory over them. So she delivers this word to Barak. And I think Barak was maybe shaken in his boots a little bit because he's told to go gather 10,000 warriors. Now, Sisera, it's known that he has 900 chariots, 
What do you think of when you think of a chariot? You think of a horse-drawn buggy or something, don't you? The Cinderella carriage. No, chariots were like tanks in that day, okay? Like a military tank. He had 900 of them, and it was believed that his army was closer to 100,000 warriors. And so Barak's being told to go get 10,000 warriors, and they're going to encounter Sisera and all of his chariots and warriors and he's going to have victory over them? He's got to be thinking, yeah, right. How in the world is that going to happen? And so do you know how he replied to Deborah? He hears this word and he says, I'll go if you go with me (laughs) to a woman. And do you know how Deborah replied to him? Well, first let me ask, how would you have replied if you were Deborah? Would you have said, not on your life? Would you have said, that was God's word to you, man up, go do it. (laughs) But that's not how she replied. She very quickly said, I will go. She very quickly responded and was so willing to go. And so Barak went, and he gathered his 10,000 warriors, and Deborah went with them, and they went to Mount Tabor. And it says that when Sisera heard what was happening and heard where they were going, that he gathered his tanks, and he gathered all of his warriors, and it says that the Lord routed them to where they had to go right past Barak and his army. And so they come past, and Barak is ready, and they head out to take down Sisera and his army. And Sisera sees what's happening. They're under attack. Oh no, the commander of the army. Do you know what he does in that moment? He jumps off his chariot and runs in fear. Runs away on foot. That's what the word says. But there's still his huge army. And so Barak and his 10,000 warriors, they pursue them, they go after them, they take them out until not one is left. The word says that they were all annihilated. And then here's Barak trying to find Sisera. Where's the captain of the army? Okay, we got the warriors, but you know, we need the guy, where is he? So he's out looking for Sisera and he encounters a lady JL, and she's outside her tent, and she says, oh, yoo-hoo, the guy you're looking for, come over here, I'll show you where he is. And she opens her tent, and he finds Sisera dead on the floor of her tent. You know why? Because when he ran away scared, he ran into JL's tent, and he asked for something to drink. His army is out fighting and he runs into a woman's tent and says could I have something to drink and then oh I I think I'll lay down and take a nap after he has a drink he decides to take a nap so she covers him up with a blanket and then she waits until he is sound asleep and she takes the tent peg and a hammer nails it 
through his temple, pounds it through and into the ground, is what the word says. <laughs> and victory was won for the army at the hand of a woman. <laughs> Now, when Barak asked Deborah if she would go to battle with him, she said, yes, I will go. But the battle will be won by the Lord at the hand of a woman. And some people can read that and think, well, that was her way of saying, yeah, I'll go, but this is going to be a notch on my belt. This is going to be my win, not yours. That's not at all what she was saying. She had another word from the Lord, and she knew that God had another woman who would appear on the scene, who would take out the commander of the army. So they experienced this incredible victory, a situation that seemed impossible. The opposing army was 10 times their size. They had a force with them, with these tanks. They had all the, the backing that just could have seemed so impossible. But yet God brought victory in an impossible-looking battle. And I want you to step back from that story with me for a moment and think about Deborah. Here she is. She's this woman. She's a wife. I don't know what she was planning for dinner that night. She was a wife. She was a judge. She was a prophet because that's what God called her to. So she's just going about her business, doing what God had called her to do. And suddenly, she's presented with a battle. Sounds a little familiar to many of us, probably, because we go about our day, about our business, doing what we do, doing what God's called us to do, doing what our career might be. Maybe there's some of you, you're students. Maybe some of you are teachers. Maybe some of you are home raising your kids. Maybe some of you own your own businesses. You're doing what you do each day, just putting one foot in front of the other, doing what's before you, and then a battle appears in front of you. Anybody ever been there? I think we can all relate to that. Now, our battles don't look quite the same as Deborah's battle. I'm quite glad about that. <laughs> Most of us aren't called to stand on the front lines in war. Our battles might look a little bit different. And in most of our cases, our battles are not with people. Our battles are not with flesh and blood. In Ephesians 6, verse 12, it tells us, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, our battles... Even though sometimes they might seem like they're with people, they're really not. Our battles are rather with what's underlying, what's behind the situation, the people, the spiritual forces at work, what can't be seen, what is at the root. 
And I think there are two things that we can really learn tonight from Deborah and her courage in battle. Two things that we can all apply to battles that we encounter in life, no matter what they look like. And the first thing is that she was willing to fight. She was willing to go to battle. Everybody say, willing. You know, in Judges 4, when Barak said he wouldn't go without her, in verse 9, she says, I will surely go. She was completely willing. And ladies, if we are ever going to win the battles in our lives, the things that we encounter, we have to be willing to fight. We will never win the battle if we're not willing to fight. There's some of you here in this room tonight, and you've had real health battles in your life. You've fought for your health, and you have come out on the other side with a clean bill of health. There are women in this room who have fought that cancer battle, who are standing on the other side cancer-free. That is awesome. Way to go. Thank you for being willing to fight. And there may be some of you here tonight that you're in the middle of a health battle. I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. You can do it. Be willing to fight. God is with you. He will walk each step of the way with you and bring you out on the other side. There are some of you here in this place tonight who maybe you have had battles with addiction and you have fought and you have come out on the other side victorious, delivered, set free. That is awesome. And maybe there's some of you here tonight that are in a bit of battle, held in bondage to addictions, even tonight. I want to encourage you, do not give up. Be willing to fight. God wants to walk with you and bring you out, delivered, set free on the other side. We've got to be willing to fight. Maybe there's somebody here tonight, and you're in a dating relationship that you know is not what God has for your future, but it's been easy, and you've just kind of settled in, but you know that it's not where God wants you. It may be a fight. You know what? We fight against the enemy, and he wants to keep us in places that will prevent us from walking into the future God has for us. Maybe that's you tonight. Be willing to fight the enemy and say, I'm not going to miss what God has for my future. Amen? I think most often the battles that God is calling us to fight, that he is asking us to be willing to fight, are those of recognizing and dealing with the baggage of our past. Because our past 
will try to dictate our future, and that's exactly what the enemy wants. And God asks us to be willing to fight the enemy in that, to push through those things so that we can experience the life God has for us. And I have a friend who has pushed through some amazing things, has walked through so much in her life, and she's been willing to push through those things in order to walk into the life God has for her. And I want her to come, Linda Harris, sure where you are sitting, but just welcome her as she comes to the stage. And I've asked Linda to come and just to share a bit of her story tonight. This is a woman who is willing to fight. Well, I haven't always been willing to fight, and I didn't even really know I had a battle to fight. And if you were here last Easter, you probably heard my testimony. And if you weren't here, I'll just kind of give you just a summary. I grew up going to church, and my mom would do the whole, you know, new outfit for Easter and Christmas. And I would ride my bike, and I would take a bowl with me, and I would steal the holy water, and I would bring it home and put it in the closet. And every night before me and my sisters went to bed, we would go through the whole ritual, and we would pray. Um, my parents got divorced when I was really young. I have no memory of even living in the same house with my dad. He was in the Navy and he was on a ship, so he was gone all the time. When my mom and dad divorced, she remarried. She was a very young mother. By the time she was 20, she had three girls, <clears throat> excuse me, and then she had two more after with her new husband. And up until the time I was seven, it seemed like we were normal. And somewhere around the age of seven, she started to get into drugs. And she started with marijuana. I would watch her separate the seeds from the leaves and roll them. And then she graduated to pills. And from that point, she moved up to heroin. And she neglected us. We, she would, when she wasn't doing the heroin, she was normal. And then we would see her put a necktie on her arm. She would take a spoon with the powder on it go to the stove, she would heat it up, go into the bathroom, shoot it in her arm, and she would come out a completely different person, fading in and out of consciousness. And that went on until I was about 10. And we just accepted that that's how our life was. And I realized at a young age, hey, that's, that's just how it is. And we just have to push through. She went out one night and she didn't come back. And the next day, the neighbor called CPS, so we were taken away from her. And we went to our dads, the three of us, and the other two girls from her second marriage. They went to their aunts. And I remember a couple of weeks later, she came to the school to visit us. And I was really mad, and, and I still remember sitting there with my arms folded. She was trying to say she was sorry, but I was so hurt. I couldn't even look at her, and I was just thinking in my mind that I hated her for what she did. And two weeks later, they found her body. She, was, she had been strangled. And my dad didn't say, you know, your mom's gone, and let's eat it. It was almost like, oh, well, that happened. 
And so another part of me kind of just like, oh, well, this is, I guess, how it is. Now I don't have a mom. I'm with my dad and his new wife and, and their daughter. And then within seven months, he started to molest me. And so it was, again, well, you know, what's wrong with me? What did I do? Why is this happening? And my sister, who was a couple years older than me, she still would drag me to church. And I went to church every Sunday. And when I was 16, I remember sitting there saying, there is no God. If there was a God, this wouldn't have happened. My mom wouldn't have left me. My dad wouldn't be molesting me. My stepmother wouldn't be mean to me. I wouldn't feel the need to try to find a guy to have sex with, hating it every moment. And from that point on, I never went back to church. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. I don't think I became an atheist, but part of me was like I was tarnished goods, and I wasn't good enough, you know, like, God, I'm not good enough for God. And from that point on, I just kind of went through life. And I did the best that I could. I walked around as like, everything's fine with me. I'm, I'm okay. And I never really even knew that anything was wrong with me. And I got in unhealthy relationships. I dated men that were older than me, like by 15 years, because I was looking for someone to love me. And in 2001, I was divorced. I had two girls. I had a successful career with AT&T. And I had a daughter that had been praying for me for four years to go to church. I would drop her off, pick her up, drop her off. I never went inside. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I finally went in on Mother's Day. And I felt something. And it was different. And I got scared. And I didn't want to go back. And she kept saying, Mom, come back, come back. And I went back, and I remember the first week in June of 2001, I received Christ. And my life started to change. But that feeling unwanted, unloved, not good enough, it was always there. I was striving, like, oh, if I volunteer here, and if I do this, I'll be loved. And surely people will think that I'm a good person. And I went through... The next, I don't even remember how many years, from 01 to 08, living like that, striving. You know, I put so much pressure on myself, like I had to be perfect. And it's almost like every time God would want to deal with me, I would shove it back down. And I was like a fake because I was thinking I have to be a certain way. And I had a friend that said, oh, I'm going to go take this inner healing, you know, come with me. It's a, it's a class. And I said, oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to do it because I'm going to help women that are hurting, you know, not realizing that I was hurting, but I'm going to help everybody else because I'm perfect, by the way. And a week before the class started, I was driving, and I just, I'll never forget it. I just felt like God said, you are so prideful, and you think that this is because you're going to help women, and that might happen, but this is for you. And I got scared. I thought, what does that mean? And I went to the class, and I did the same thing. I was trying to contain it. It was almost like, like a volcano getting ready to erupt, but somehow I was able to keep pushing it down. And one day, during one of the teachings, I could not control it. And I just burst out, and all these things came 
to, you know, that I had forgot about everything that I stuffed. I realized I had been walking around for 40 years, mad at my dad, mad at my mom, mad at God, look at the cards that have been dealt with me, you know, poor me, poor me. And from that point on, I was like, wow, okay, now I get it. The fairy dust isn't going to drop from the sky because that's the thing I always thought because people would pray over me. Oh, God has this magnificent plan for you, bigger than you'll ever know. And I would like, okay, well, when is it going to happen? Fairy dust never dropped, ever. And I kept waiting, but from that point on, I started to really understand what surrender means. And surrender was saying, I don't have the answers. I'm not perfect. I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know what I'm doing, but God, you do. And when I started to do that, when I would read scriptures, they took on a whole different meaning. I, before, it would be up here. Like, oh, I'm supposed to turn the cheek, so I'm going to spend all day, every time somebody offends me, I'm going to turn the cheek. But it never transferred to here. But after I started acknowledging all that hurt that been bottled up and all that pain, it now is, God, show me why it's so hard for me to turn the cheek. And then he began to show me, I mean, he showed me so many things. I felt like I had been totally stripped down to nothing. I was humbled. And it got to the point where I realized, like, everything I held inside, it affected every relationship I had with my kids, with my new husband. Um, he's a very touchy, physical guy. And he just very playfully, he would touch me. And I would clam up because I felt like I was dirty. And I felt like you don't really love me. And I had to... I mean, I was so humbled, I had to go to him, sit and look in his eyes and say, it's not you, it's me, that when you do that, it's like I'm being violated again, and I don't, I don't know how to deal with it. And then it was through that, the, the humbling and the surrendering and that admitting and saying, God, take this and, you know, heal me, because I don't want to be like this. And so when I, I hear the story of Deborah, I'm like, yeah, I spent 40 years running and hiding and sealing everything up, and I'm just thankful that God has, when I was willing, when I was willing, it started to happen quickly, and um, I'm thankful for that, and I was reading this morning the scripture in Mark, and it says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is unwilling, and I thought, yeah, that's like so right, and we all have battles. Sometimes we don't know that we have battles. I know that if you surrender and you say, God, I don't know why I feel this way. I don't want to feel this way. Show me. If you get into the word, which people would tell me that all the time, get in the word, get in the word. And, and you know, you probably hear that all the time, but I didn't know. I knew up here what it meant, but not here. Now I know what it means here. And it means I don't always know what I'm reading, but I connect with people, women. I connected with somebody that was older than me this past week because I was struggling, and it wasn't, I wasn't looking for her to give me the answer. I was looking for her to love me, to support me, and to give me things to think about. So whatever you're going through, that 
give it to God because the fairy dust isn't going to drop. I wish it would. You know, Linda was so willing, you know, to just push through the things that the enemy wanted to use. She was willing to go to battle with the enemy so that he could not dictate her future based on her past. And I love that. And to know Linda, to sit down and to spend time with Linda without hearing any of that, you would never, ever know her story because that's how God does it. He doesn't leave marks on us. You know, sometimes you see people and, and you can look at them and think, well, they've had a really rough past. They've probably been through a bunch of these things, but you would never know that about Linda because her heart is so tender and so loving and God has done so such a beautiful work in her life. And I know just the tears even tonight are just out of, you know, sure you remember, but the gratitude of what God would do. And then we all have things that we're continually walking through, like just how she said this week, just look into another woman because we should all be learning from each other. But I love her willingness to fight the enemy to refuse to allow him to sabotage her future. So thank you so much for sharing. Give her a good hand. You know, there will be times in our lives that we have to fight, that we have to push through and fight the enemy if we want to see God's best, his plan unfold for our lives, the choice is ours. We don't have to, but if we're willing, then we will see God do what he wants to do in our lives. The second thing I want us to learn from Deborah tonight is not only was she willing to go to battle, not only was she willing to fight, but she was led by God to come alongside someone else in battle. In Judges chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, Then Deborah said to Barak, now mind you, this is when they've already gone out with their 10,000, they're heading out, and about the time that Sisera sees what's happening and is coming towards them, then Deborah says to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Now think about this. She is encouraging him. She could have said, you didn't really want to do this. You made me come with you, so I'm taking charge. I'm in charge here. This is what we're doing. Okay, it's time to go now. That's not what she did. She just came alongside and she encouraged him. Remember, she already knew that the Lord was going to bring victory at the hand of a woman. She already knew how things were going to unfold with JL. God had shown her that, but yet she says, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? She is encouraging him as the commander in chief leading this army. You can do this. Go on. It's, it's already taken care of. God has gone before you. She's just coming alongside, bringing support and encouragement to him. 
I love that. And you know, when we choose to push through the battles in our life, to fight the enemy in our life, then God wants to use us to come alongside others, to encourage them, to be a support and a strength to them. And I have another friend here tonight who has walked through a lot in her life, but it is so awesome to see how God is using that to come alongside others. Just like God is using Linda now to come alongside others, God is using Donna Simonson to come along and support and encourage others. And so I want her to come and share her story with you tonight. Give her a good hand as she comes. Good evening, sweet sisters. It's so good to be with you here tonight. If I can, I want to take you on a little journey with me back to June of 2012. I was laying on the bedroom floor, face down, crying out to God and asking God to take me, that I had suffered enough through trials and tragedies and losses. And then I spoke, I remember as I was wailing, God, if I have to suffer this much, please use it to your glory. You see, the reason for my suffering was the key root was the recession of 2008. In a year and two days, I first lost my franchise business that I owned. Then my husband and I lost our beautiful home that we had put 50% down on. It was going to be our retirement home. It was everything we had worked for all of our life. And then my husband passed away. All of this happened in a year and two days. So that's why I was crying out to God. But God didn't take me. I'm here tonight. He had a different plan for me. A week later, much to my surprise, I got a phone call from a lady who had a bereavement group here in the valley for over 16 years. She knew I'd only been six months into the loss of my own grief journey, losing my husband. But she also knew something else about me. In 1988, my husband and I were trying to adopt a little baby girl. Her mother had taken drugs the first trimester of her pregnancy, and she didn't tell anyone till after the baby was born. Our little baby lived to 18 months old, and then she passed peacefully. I even developed breast milk for her when she was in Children's Hospital. The nurses put a picture of me in her incubator. She never was able to talk. She wiggled when she saw me and heard my voice, but boy, we could communicate as mom and daughter. And from that loss, I developed another bereavement group called Heartfelt in Orange County. I did that for 10 years, and then I had to stop because my business in traveling all over the country did not allow me to give the justice that it needed. So I went and did the bereavement group where I was asked to do in this valley, and I did that. And I was well into 20 months after the loss of my husband. And then I got a phone call. I got a phone call from my first husband. See, I got married. I've been married twice. I was only 17 and 19 when we got married. We were much too young. But I'm happy to say that even today, we still love and respect each other because we share a son and grandchildren. But the phone call he called to tell me, my ex-husband, that my son was missing, my 42-year-old son. 
and he had left behind my nine-year-old grandson, and he asked if I would be able to take care of him until my son returned. We had no idea where our son was, but I can tell you that my son was a meth addict, and he had problems with drugs all his life. When he was 17, we had him at lockdown teen facility, and the director there told my husband and I that more than likely our son, at one point in his life, would lose his life because he was a high risk taker, and risk taking and drugs don't mix. Well, my son continued to be missing for almost three months, and then I got another phone call after my grandson had come to live with me and I had guardianship, and I also had guardianship of his other brother since he was five and he was almost 16 because of the drug problems my son had. And their mothers were in and out of prison. They still are today, homeless. Um, they just don't have that maternal instinct. And now I'm called mom at the ripe old age. I'll be 65 next month. But it was very special. Jordan had been with me two weeks from his father's home when his father was missing. And he came up to me and said, Nana, do you mind if I call you mom? After all, I've never had a mom, not since I was one years old, because his mother had been incarcerated. I put my arms around him and I said, sweetheart, you can call me anything you want, but I would feel it as an honor for you to call me mom. And let me tell you, for the next month, every sentence started with, mom, can I? Mom, mom, mom. He loves saying mom. So I became mom. I'm not a grandmother to my two grandsons any longer. They are my sons, and I am their mother. But in September, three months after my son went missing, I got a phone call from a police detective in Lake Havasu that my son's body had been found. He was found above the caverns in Lake Havasu. His body was badly decomposed and dehydrated. And they had to come down with a helicopter to get his body. He was in a very remote place. And a hiker had found him. The, his backpack was next to his body. It had his phone in it, his sunglasses, wallet with a little bit of money, and a needle laying next to him. I thank my God that his death certificate does not say it was drug use. Because his body was so badly decomposed and dehydrated, they could not do a full tox screen on his body. So for my grandson's sake, my son's now on their dad's death certificate. It says he died from stream exposure and dehydration. And that is a blessing. So there I am, a mom with two boys. Jordan has brought me more joy than you can ever imagine. I actually became a soccer coach. They didn't have enough soccer. Thank you. Thank you. Um, they had a call out for coaches. Uh, by email, they didn't have enough coaches for all the boys that wanted to play. And so I sent them back an email and copied everyone, because I was challenging the men. <laughs> and I said, do you take 62-year-old grandmothers? And they said, yes, we do. The next day, they had me on the field training. And Jordan got to play soccer. So it was really great. But I love my boys. They have a lot of challenges. They don't have a mother who's because they've abandoned them, and they don't have a father. And they lost Papa, my husband, who was a father figure to them as well. They've gone through a lot, but we're going through it together, and I love them with all my heart. They make me young, they make me smile. And 
After that, I decided that I needed a new ministry after being in bereavement that many years. It had been like 13 and a half years I'd been involved in a bereavement group. And in June of 2015, Pastor Gary gave a call from the pulpit about a need for chaplains at the new Temecula Valley Hospital. It's a volunteer position. But you know how Pastor Gary talked about that stirring that the Holy Spirit does? Well, he almost pushed me out in the aisle in church to run up to Pastor Gary. And I'm proud to say that I have been a chaplain since September, working alongside many other chaplains at the hospital. And in recent months, Kevin, recent weeks, excuse me, Kevin and his wife Terry have asked me to co-lead with Kevin at the hospital. And we have an appointment in two weeks to take the program that we have in our connect group and training people how to become a chaplain, if that would be an interest of them. We're taking it to all the hospitals in the valley. So it's great growth, and I'm really excited to be a part of that. And I've also done some connect groups here. I've done Grief Share. I did Max Lucado's You'll Get Through This, the story of Joseph, because I've, I've lived it. I've lived it. And before I end tonight, I want to share with you a couple of visits that I've made in the hospital. Each time I go to the hospital, I ask the Holy Spirit to lead me where I need to be. I get a whole list of everyone in the hospital, and I pray over it. And it's amazing. God takes me where I'm needed. So I'm going to just share two visits with you. One of them was to a young man. He was 29, and he had requested a Bible. The hospital provides Bibles. The Gideons leave. So I go bouncing in his room, and he looked great. I said, what are you doing here? You look great. And he put his head down in shame. And he said, you don't know why I'm here? And I said, no, we don't know why you're here unless you want to tell us. And he continued with his head down. And he said, well, I shoot crystal meth in my veins. And I've gotten two bad infections. This is my second time being at the hospital. And I got tears in my eyes. And I said, this is no coincidence that this chaplain brought you this Bible. And I sat down and I explained to him all about my son. And I said, let me tell you from a mother who loves, you need to stop these drugs. You look good. You look healthy. You haven't lost your teeth yet. My son looked older than I did. Once I was with my son, and they thought I was his girlfriend. And that was pretty hard. But that's what crystal meth does to you. Your teeth fall out. You look older. It's very, very sad. So he said, well, I, I haven't talked to my parents in a long time because I wasn't very nice to them when I talked to them last time. And I said, well, why don't you call your mother? I said, let me tell you about moms. We have unconditional love. Give her a call. He points to his cell phone, and he said, my battery's dead. I pulled out my cell phone. <laughs> and I said, why don't you call your mother? And he said, Chaplain Donna, can you call her first? Because I don't know how mad she's going to be. And I said, I'll be glad to do that for you. And I called his mother and told her where he was and why, and not to be worried, he was okay, but that he wanted to talk to her. I stepped out of the room and went to make another visit, came back into the room, and this 29-year-old young man, big and burly, was sitting there just crying with a smile on his face. And I said, did it go okay? He said, 
Chaplain Donna, my mom is on her way from Carlsbad. And isn't that wonderful? I tell you, I felt so good, and it made me feel good to understand why I went through and that my son did not die in vain. Everything I've read that a crystal meth addict, the only peace they get in dying. And the good news is my son was saved. He was saved at a young age. He loved the Lord, but he could not get rid of his addictions as much as he tried. Another visit that I made was to a man who who was very anxious, having anxiety attacks, and asked if he could see a chaplain. Before I stepped into his room, I looked at him, and I knew exactly that he was an addict alcoholic because I've lived with that. My husband was a recovering alcoholic for over 30 years. I'm so proud of him. And Jesus took that away from him with a little kicking from me as well. (laughs) So I went into the room, and I said, do you mind if I hold your hand? I'm a very touchy-feeling person, as most of you know. And I grabbed his hand, and I said, what brings me to you today? And he said, well, I'm 40 days into being clean and sober. I'm at a a drug rehab, and I'm very anxious. I've already gotten in trouble from the hospital because I smoked a cigarette in the bathroom. And I said, oh, you can't do that here. He said, I know, I know. Security came. And so I started talking to him about how I knew what he was going through and how proud I was of him for his 40 days of sobriety. And then I said, I want to tell you about another man named Jesus Christ who spent 40 days in the desert, and he was tempted by Satan. I said, you were right there with Christ. You are walking with Jesus in 40 days, and I know and Jesus knows that you can win and you can do this. And you could see the Holy Spirit come down and fill that room and the stress go away from this young man. It was just amazing. Then I asked him if he had a Bible. He said, no. I said, let me go get you one. So I went downstairs to get him a Bible. When I came back, he was smiling. He was relaxed. And so I asked him, I said, do you go to church? Do you have a church that you attend? And he said, oh, yes, the drug rehab picks us up in a van and takes us to a church. And I said, where, where is that church? He said, the bridge. <laughs> and I said, well, God's just sending you love letters like crazy because I go to the bridge. He goes, you do? I said, yes. I said, I know I can't see you tomorrow because you'll still be here in the hospital but I'm going to look for you next Sunday after that. And, you know, what an amazing story. And, you know, all of you are a part of that because this man came to the community care. If you've given, if you've bought something at the vintage, if you've given tithes and offering to the bridge, if you've worked in the community care, you are part of this because that's how he became connected to the bridge and coming to worship. He told me, my girlfriend and I had no money. We had no clothes because we were spending it on drugs. But the kind people at your community care encouraged us and told us to come to service, and we did. And all of you are part of that. I was so proud of my church that day. I really was. And to have God let me see a visual result of us doing that 
And we do it together because we love the Lord. And I tell you, I have so many stories. Those of you that are my Facebook friends, you know, once a week I post a visit to let everyone see. And I have to be careful because of HIPAA laws. But any of you could do this. It's about caring for other people and sharing the things that you've gone through because you've gone ahead of them. There are people here at the bridge that I've helped with their losses, whether it be children, a spouse. I did grief share for a connect group. I also did, as I said, you know, um, Max Lucado's, you'll get through this. And one of the things I always ask God is to lead my spirit to a trust without borders. I love that song. And I'm going to leave you with one scripture from Proverbs 11.25. He who waters will be watered. And I can tell you every time I make a hospital visit, I thank my God for blessing me and helping others. Thank you for listening. That verse describes Donna's life. Everywhere she goes, she waters. She uses what she's walked through to encourage, to come alongside, to be a support and a strength and an encouragement to others everywhere she goes. And every time I see her, she has a new story to tell me, and it always makes me cry. She's amazing. Give her another hand. God doesn't call us to come alongside everybody. We couldn't come alongside everybody. We would spread ourselves so thin. Sometimes we try that we want to rescue everybody. But if we listen, like Donna, to the ones that God is leading us to, the ones that he brings across our paths to step out in those opportunities that are before us, oh, he will use us. And he will use the things that we have walked through for his glory. He wants to use us to come alongside others. I know that there are so many stories in this room tonight, so many things that each one of you have walked through. And I know that many of you are using those things to come alongside others, to encourage others in their journey, encourage others who've walked, who are walking through that now. But you know, I also think there might be some of you in this room tonight who've walked through some things that you've hidden, that you've been ashamed to let people know about. Let God bring healing in those things so that he can use them for his glory. No matter what we walk through, he wants to use it. He'll turn it around. There's others who need what you've been through. There's others who need you and the encouragement and the support that you can bring to them. You know, in Deborah's life, she could have felt like being asked to go to battle with Barak was an interruption. She could have felt like, hey, I'm here as a judge, a prophet. I'm doing my thing. That's an interruption. It could have felt like that interruption. It could have felt very scary to go into battle. Surely it was a very difficult thing. But you know what? It turned out to be the thing that marked her life. 
because she became known and is still known to this day as the female warrior who rescued the people from their cruel oppressor. And she became known as the mother of Israel willing to fight for her children. Ladies, I want to encourage you tonight, whatever the battle is that you're facing, whatever it is that's in front of you, be willing to fight. Don't ignore it. Don't push it aside. Don't think it'll just disappear. Don't let the enemy keep you held there, sabotaging your future. Be willing to fight, knowing that God is with you. He doesn't ask you to do it all on your own. He was with them. He's the one that brought the victory in the battle. The battle looked impossible, but God brought it about. And in the battles that you face, he is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you every step of the way. So don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Say, I'm in. I am willing. God, I want to push through. I want to fight the enemy so that I can have the life you want for me. That's what God wants from each of us. Ladies, he's got so much ahead for you. No matter your age in this place tonight, no matter your stage of life, he has still got more ahead that he wants to do in and through your life. He wants to do things in you, and he wants to do things through you as you come alongside others and pour out to them of what he's done in you. Amen? I want to pray for you tonight. Would you just bow your heads and just close your eyes right where you're at? And I just feel like maybe there's some of you here this evening that are really facing a battle. Maybe there's something going on in your life right now. Maybe I feel like there's some of you, even as Linda shared her story, that there's stuff that you haven't wanted to deal with that's there, that you've been ignoring, that you've been pushing aside. Don't let it hold you paralyzed. Don't let it tie you to your past. It's time to be free. It's time to choose and be willing to fight the enemy. Father, I pray for every woman in this place. God, those who are facing a battle, those who are just hearing that gentle whisper from your heart tonight, just knocking on their heart, just saying, come on, sweetheart, it's time to deal with this. It's time to fight. It's time to move forward into what I have for you. God, I pray that you would just cause each one of these women to rise up with courage, with a determination in her heart to say, I'm not going to settle for any less than what you have for me, God. I refuse to be bound to my past, and I choose to fight the enemy to walk into the future that you have. God, I pray that courage would just rise up in hearts right now, that women would just rise up with that determination to fight, 
that willingness to surrender all to you once and for all. And God, I pray that as they do that, God, that you would rush in by your spirit. And God, that you would help them every step of the way. You would order their steps. You would lead them. You would guide them. You would show them how to come out on the other side, healed, whole, victorious, a vessel that you can use to come alongside and encourage and support others. And Father, I just pray also for those here tonight who have already walked through things, already experienced victory in battles in their life. God, I pray that they wouldn't take those things for granted, that they wouldn't forget about those things. But God, I pray that you would just stir their hearts tonight to be willing to use those stories, those testimonies, those stories of the victories that you've brought about to bring strength and encouragement and support to others. God, I pray that each of us would be willing to come alongside those that you bring across our path to help them fight, to help them experience victory in you as well. In Jesus' name.